Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. All right. Well, I want to share some things with you uh, that God has dealt with me over the last couple of weeks, and, and it's, it's kind of been an interesting, uh, an interesting time as I prepare always. Um, generally, I'm working on things that, that I feel God is leading me in and, and study in the Word and things that the church needs and, and the things that He's laid on my heart. And in the midst of all of that, God began to speak to me uh, about sharing my testimony which I thought was unusual because many of you know most of my testimony and I, I kind of set it aside a little bit and, and God just kept reinforcing to me that there's something about something in my testimony to share. But I've, have, I've got something he's given me along with that to share with you this morning. And so I, I'm going to be rather teachy today. It's not going to be very much at all, but just me and you talking today. Is that okay? Amen. Amen. All right. As I said a moment ago, we're on our way to what God is doing next, and, and I'm very, very excited about what's happening, and, and those of you, some of you have already gone and taken a peek, the sanctuary is all on a big pile right now, and, and God has uh, opened some doors for us, some, some very generous giving, and, and some opportunities in a wonderful year to begin to kind of update and do some things, and that's all wonderful, and, and we had a great group here yesterday, by the way, thank you, all the men, I think nearly all the men of the church were here yesterday. <laughs> I couldn't believe how many guys showed up. I was just a few minutes late. I got detained at the house with a visitor and uh, was here about 10 after 8. And I think most of the work in the back hallway was already done by 10 after 8. Uh, but we had so many men here yesterday. Uh, thank you, Brother um, Bill Hemingway and Brother Wickman. Uh, those guys are our general contractor crew that's doing all this amazing work. Now, while they're doing uh, that physical work and, and, and all this new stuff that's happening on the platform and some things, and, and we'll have new projection, there's going to be a 24-foot wide by probably 10 or 11-foot tall screen or p- projection on the main wall of the sanctuary. You could sit anywhere in any seat in the sanctuary, and, and the letters are going to be probably about that tall. Um, so any of you that... Where's Sister Carlson? No, I'm just kidding. Anybody that say you can't see it anymore... You may need to go to Braille. Um, but we had, a, we had a wonderful group here yesterday. We, I'm so thankful for those that stepped in. Many of the guys were doing the demo work and working with Brother Hemingway and Brother Wickman. On the back side of things, or, or maybe I should say front of house side of things, Brother Aaron Courtney is hard at work also in the midst of all of this construction, completely turning over our entire audio system. Everything is 20 plus years old, 27 years old. It's analog. It's, it's, we have interference issues. We have sound issues. And so um, there was a new soundboard. There's, there's all of this new stuff that they're beginning to do and, and to turn everything over to digital. And that will be tremendous. It'll make a big impact on our sound. Uh, it'll make a big impact on the video production. That's all going to go HD. Uh, we have the new projector has already arrived. Um, so that's very exciting. So all that old equipment that's dying and, and is failing is coming down. And so I'm very excited about that. And so thank you to all that group. But I want to say this, that before programs, before great projection and before audio and excellent production and, and, and all of these great things and websites and marketing and mailers and all of that stuff, all that fancy stuff is great. But before all of that stuff, I want to partner with everyone in this room today and say let's prepare our hearts to become the greatest testifiers 
of what God has done for us than we've ever been. Now I know it's quiet in here. What does that mean? It means I want you to get really, really, really expert and very quick and very ready to share your personal testimony, to share stories about what God has done in your life before all of that other fancy stuff. If we're just standing in a cardboard shack somewhere, we have our testimony. We have what God has done in our lives. I want to read Revelation chapter 12 to you if you want to join me. The Revelation chapter 12, and, and many of you know this passage very well. I've quoted it in other messages, but God reminded me again the power, the power of our testimony, the power of our words to share what God has literally done in our lives. There is nothing greater except as Revelation chapter 12 is about to tell us, is the blood of the Lamb. It says in verse 12, excuse me, verse 10, it says, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Talking about the saints. Verse 11, and it says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. Do you know what it means to love your life unto death? It means if we get into a place where we're so concerned about our own little piece of property, our own little life, our own little worries, our own entertainment and fulfilling the flesh and so forth, we will literally love ourselves. We will love our lives into doom, into destruction. And so that passage is talking about the saints overcoming the enemy, overcoming the accuser of the brethren by the power of the blood, which we have. We have access to that blood. We, we are the, the people of the name Jesus Christ buried in that waters of baptism, in that blood, covered under his blood. We have that. But we also have the word of our testimony of what he did. It's so very critical that this become the core of who and what we are is what this verse is basically saying. Forget everything else. Be great at this, at your testimony. So I'm gonna follow God's lead here and I'm just gonna talk, I'm not gonna give you a, a grand, expansive uh, a testimony, I'm just gonna give you what I felt he put on my heart specifically, so specifically to share with you. I was 12 years old when we came into the church. I, I am the son of a single mother, I do not know my father. Never did, never have, don't know his name, don't know my lineage, have no clue. And that's just another part of my story. I was 12 years old. My mother was married to an alcoholic. It was her second marriage. Excuse me, her third marriage. I'm not trying to be dishonorable to her, by the way. God has, God has done great and wonderful works in her life, and she serves him today. But this is what God has asked me to share with you. And so I was about 12 years old when my mother took a job at a place in West Dallas, Wisconsin, and worked with a lady named Mary Unz. And that name holds a lot of value and a lot of special meaning to a lot of folks in this room. And Mary Unz, working alongside my mother, did what wonderful Christian people are doing every single day. And she said, hey, I wanna share with you my testimony. I wanna talk to you about what God's doing, has done in my life. And just at that moment, we were in a terrible, terrible position. All of our money was being drunk, drink, drunken away. 
there was constant fights, constant battles, verbal abuse. Terrible things were going on daily, all the time. Uh, and this had been after about a year of marriage or so, and things were pretty awful. I was told repeatedly throughout my childhood at that point, at that time, that I was completely worthless. I would never amount to anything. Don't ever think you're going to ever get anywhere because you have no brains. I was repeatedly told that I was, that I was uh, um, a bum and I was dumb. And uh, every, I would say something, ask a question, I would be told I was stupid and things like that. And so I, it became ingrained in me. I'm not doing this, by the way. Please don't. I'm not looking for sympathy from anybody. This is, this is a long, long time ago. I'm just giving you the foundation for what God is sharing with me because there's a point to all of this. And so, so having gone through all of that, it became ingrained in me. I was a child. I was 12, 13 years old. And so I had adults, people in my life, authority telling me this is, this is who and what you are and you're worthless and, and nothing is ever going to come from you and, and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. At every turn, at every opportunity, I was reminded continuously. And so that becomes ingrained in you, becomes part of your DNA. You just accept that idea. Never thought in my lifetime I would ever own a home. It was impossible, and when we were even approaching it, it scared me to death to even think about it. And my wife, thank God for my wife, who was like, we're going to buy a house. What, what is the problem? And I'm, internally, I'm torn apart because I never thought I would ever be able to do something like that. Never thought I'd own a, a new car. Sounds silly, doesn't it? Sounds stupid. I never thought that I would have a job beyond any sort of menial labor. I was doing customer service jobs and things like that. You know, very, when we were married, I was making... 12,500 a year. And I thought that was what it was going to be like. We lived in a one bedroom apartment that you could stand in one place and put your hand in every room. I could sit on the couch and put my feet in the kitchen. Um, not literally, but I, that's just what I understood that life was going to be. This, this was it. This is who I was. And, and I even made an attempt, and I, was, <laughs> I graduated high school from Elam Christian Academy at, at Elam Church in Greenfield. And uh, uh, even then, I had no idea what I was going to do because I was told there was nothing was going to happen. I was never going to get anywhere. And I never thought of myself as a person going to college. And it was some people there at the church and one of my best friends that said, hey, we're going to sign up. We're going to go to college. And, uh, and so I signed up for, uh, we, we, we uh, applied for Marquette University. Now, I look back on that now and I, I realize that was a grand mistake. But... <laughs> We went out to the, one of the parent nights one night where they do this thing, this orientation thing, and I wanted to sign up for the School of Architecture. I decided that I had spent my whole life when I was a young guy, I was, I was always drawing pictures and comics, and I designed buildings and homes, and I made all these really cool things, and it was kind of a fascination for me. And so I decided I wanted to be uh, an architect, and so we went to family night thing or whatever, one of these orientation things at Marquette School of Architecture, and it was very exciting. We sat amongst dozens and dozens of other parents and students, and, and I'm listening to the professors talk, and I'm going, oh, this is great, this is great, yeah, I, can, I believe it, I believe it, I can do it. And as we were walking out, the, out at the end of the thing, we were getting ready to go home, and dozens of parents are walking with us down the hallway. I said, wow, mom, what do you think about that? <laughs> and I didn't get a very good response. And I was sort of dissuaded from going into the School of Architecture. And so I signed up for something terrible. I went into the School of Communications and uh, was an English major and a journalism minor. <laughs> I grew up in a very conservative environment. So anyway, um, I, I gave up after a couple of years, everything. I, I failed out. I just didn't ever see myself actually graduating college. I was amazed that I graduated high school. And I finished with a... <laughs> Thank you, Brother Hickey. Brother Hickey agrees, apparently. 
So I'm 12 years old and we, I'm going back now, stepping back in time. So I'm go, we're going, begin going to this church and I'm amazed at what I see. I walk into this church on a Wednesday night, Parkway, the old church, the, the old, old building. Not the oldest building, but the second oldest building. And I'm watching people worship and praise and all this stuff. Now I was raised with a wonderful, amazing grandmother who was literally an angel on earth. She took me to church, she prayed with me, she sang songs, she taught me about God. She was the most amazing woman. She was Holy Ghost filled, she was prayerful, she was a healer, she, she was incredible. She prayed over Brother Kylie when he was sick, as a matter of fact, at one point. Um, and, and so she was a terrific lady and everything that I did, I always did to honor her because I was so afraid to disappoint her. And so I stayed out of a lot of trouble and I kind of stayed on the right line. And uh, it was the one thing that gave me any value whatsoever was her existence. And so we enter into this church and I'm, I'm relatively familiar with praise and worship and everything, but I'm fascinated. I'm thinking, wow, look at this amazing church. And, and, and he's worshiping and praising and all of this is going on. Well, as time went on, I got to know a couple, of fe- a couple of people there. And so I befriended a gentleman, started going to the Sunday school class there and there was a young man, he's a little bit older than me, but he was a, a foreign exchange student from Poland. His name is George Shozda. Anybody know the Shozda family? Yeah, Brother George Shozda there at Parkway still. He was a foreign exchange student. We became pen pals, and every time he had to go back to Poland, we would write letters back and forth, and he would minister to me, and he would encourage me. And uh, to this day, Brother, jo- uh, Brother George and his wife are great friends, and we used to see them every year at junior camp, those of you that are junior campers. And he's a, he's a wonderful guy. Became one of my best friends. And then I befriended another young man named Eric Bath. Anybody know the Bath family? Okay, they junior camp for many years, but I didn't know any of this. And, and so one day Eric said, hey, we have this great summer camp to go to. You should come and, and, and come along with me. And so he hosted me along to, to go to youth camp, they called it at the time. Um, and so I went up there and I had no, I had no, we knew nothing about church. We didn't know anything. We were brand new. And the summer of 1983, I was 13 years old. I went up to this camp and I just had t-shirts and jeans and old shoes and things like that. And I wasn't prepared for what I was going to see there. So we go there the first night and there was a wonderful man by the name of Emmett Caskey who was preaching. He was the camp evangelist that year. And I don't remember exactly what he preached, but he preached an incredible fiery salvation message. I didn't know anything. I was standing in uh, three rows back uh, with my friend Eric who brought me to this camp. Everybody's dressed in ties and suit jackets and their hair's all done up real fancy and the ladies all had dresses on and, and we were all, and here's me in a t-shirt and a pair of jeans. But I will tell you what happened is I listened to that message and I was so hungry and I was hurting so much from the life that I was living at home that most people didn't know. They didn't understand what was happening and I was in a place where I desperately needed something And as he's preaching, I literally felt a prick in my heart. I reached up, I was standing right next to Eric, and I reached up and I grabbed my chest. And I went, whoa. And at that exact moment, my friend Eric, same age as I am, 13 years old, turns to me and he said, do you want to go up? And I stood there and I went like that. My dorm dad at the time was Brother Roy Grant. And he met me there with Eric 
And they began to pray over me. And I don't even remember what happened at that point. God got a hold of me. And everything that was hurting and painfully tearing me apart inside. And the, the desperate hopelessness. I thought life was always going to be like that. I thought every Friday night I was going to walk home from school and the whole world was going to come apart and there would be screaming and horrible things going on. And Saturday morning I'd be in the bathroom cleaning up all the vomit and all the blood and all the nastiness every single week. I just thought this is what it's going to be like forever. I was hopeless. I, I, I was worthless. I wasn't going to amount to anything. And all of a sudden, God cut a hold of my heart and something began to pour out of me. What I'm saying to you folks is we can't get to a place. We can't get to a place where we're so jaded and we're so covered in the hate and the anger and the negativity of the world that we lose sight of the fact that there are precious souls out there there are people that are living under the oppressive state of what the spirit of the world is doing in our nation and in our world. And they may look like something to you. They might look like something else, but they're hurting. They're hopeless. They don't have an end to, to this whole mess. To them, it's gonna go on forever. In Acts chapter two, if you remember Acts chapter two and 37, when Peter was preaching the message, he preached that part in Acts 2, 37 to the point where he convicted them so much, it says that now they were heard, they, when they heard this, the message from Peter, they were pricked in their hearts. That terminology is the only place in scripture where the word is written out or translated out as pricked in their hearts. It literally means they were cut to the heart. Everywhere else in scripture that phrase is used, they use the term cut to the heart. In other words, there's a place to penetrate. There's something here. There's hearts walking around that are dealing with all of these things, have lived the life that the world has led them to, and, and, and there's a heart waiting to be reached. Forget about programs, forget about projectors and screens and technology and all of those things. There are living souls that are walking around us every single day. Somebody's telling them that they're stupid and worthless and it's hopeless and, and it's, there's a bad marriage where there's abuse going on or there's a child who's being raised up and told that they're never gonna be amounting to anything. But we can be that Eric Bath. We can be that person who, who, who constantly is looking for that opportunity to say, hey, let me take you somewhere and show you what God can do. Let me tell you my testimony. Peter preached the salvation message at that day and 3,000 souls were saved. Part of the reason I'm sharing this with you is this coming May 23rd is Pentecost Sunday. We have a Holy Ghost crusade that's coming. A, a, revel, a, a wonderful, amazing evangelist by the name of Josh Herring is coming to the city of Milwaukee. And they're going to do some satellite locations and there's gonna be a lot of information coming out. But this guy will go into a city and 200, 300, 400 people at a time will be filled with the Holy Ghost and his ministry. We're gonna have a crusade starting on May 23rd and it's not gonna stop on May 23rd. It's gonna continue. But every single pastor, every church is being asked to look into their congregations and say, who's on board with us? Who's on board to get somebody here May 23rd on that Pentecost Sunday day, that day that we celebrate when God returned in the form of the Holy Ghost and filled 3,000 souls? Who's on board with it? 
Who's ready to tell their testimony? Who's ready to forget about all the nonsense going on around us? Forget about politics and the ridiculous president that we've got and the terrible things that he's doing to our country right now and look at some souls and say, listen, I was where you were one time. Let me share just a couple of words with you. I want to stop this belief that enters into our heads that you're not ever capable of winning a soul. I'm not going to ask for hands, but if I, if I did, I would venture a majority of the people in the, in the room would raise a hand. If I said, how many of you have had it in your head for a long time? Nobody's ever going to go to come to church for me. No, one ever, no one's ever going to listen to me. I've witnessed the dozens and they won't come. I just gave up. It's not going to happen. I want to kill that right now in Jesus' name. It's a lie from the enemy. You have a powerful testimony. If you're here today and you're alive and you're full of the Holy Ghost, you've got something to give and it's going to reach somebody. Thank God somebody took the time to witness to a lady at a job or a young man who took the time to say, come to camp with me. I want you to know what God did for me. In Acts chapter five, Peter again had to testify the same thing all over again. He went after him. He said, listen, you, you, you killed the son of God. It's what he said in Acts chapter two. He literally said to them, you hung him on a tree. They were cut to the heart, it says in Acts chapter 5. You can read it. It says they were cut to their hearts, just like the men in Acts chapter, men and women in Acts chapter 2. But you know what they did? They sought to slay him, the Bible says. Some are going to turn it away. Some are going to not be interested. We can't give up for the sake of the some that are going to turn you down. You understand? Failure is not an option. That's their choice. Peter did it in Acts chapter two. He could have been taken and killed at that point. He did it again in Acts chapter five. They tried to slay him then. In Acts chapter seven, Stephen preached the same message and they did kill him. But they didn't stop. They didn't stop sharing that message because in Acts chapter seven, those Pharisees and Sadducees, they were cut to their hearts as well. But they didn't repent. There will be those that feel that conviction that prick in their heart as I did. I didn't know anything about conviction. I didn't even know I was doing anything wrong. And it wasn't about that. That wasn't the message. The message was we were all born in sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the message was a message of hope. For that very moment, for the first time in a time that I could remember, it sounded like there was hope for me. And when he said, do you want to go up? Oh, yeah. I wanted that. There was no question in my mind. I didn't hesitate. There was nothing. I don't even remember hitting my knees. But I can tell you some 45 minutes later, I kind of, if you want to put it this way, came to. And I was about 30 feet from where I started. My hands raised in the air, speaking that wonderful language as God just flowed and flowed and flowed and filled me up. That night I went back to my Went back to my dorm, got into my bunk, everybody settled down, it was quiet. And do you know that the enemy jumped into my ear? Immediately I heard voice, you didn't do that, that wasn't real. See, when I walked into the dorm room that night, Brother Grant, my dorm dad, said, hey everybody, he always calls me Rusty. If you're ever around when Brother Grant's around, he always calls me Rusty. It's a long story. Hey, everybody, Rusty got the Holy Ghost tonight. All oh, the whole dorm, yeah. And I'm laying in my bunk and the devil's going, that wasn't real. You faked that. You didn't do that. 
You lied to all these people and they're going to find out. I'm telling you, this is literally what the enemy is saying. 13-year-old little boy laying in the, in the bed. You lied to these people. It was false. This wasn't real. You know what I did with that? Called my mom and said, I want to come home. Nope. That's not what I did. Next night service, whew, right up to that altar, threw my hands up in the air and I began speaking in tongues again and worshiping God and being filled. And I said, devil, now tell me. Now tell me I didn't do it. Now tell me it wasn't real. I made sure that it was real. I'm telling you folks, the passion message is going to touch people. Just have compassion. Just look beyond what you see on the outside. I was just a dopey kid. I was dressed wrong. I looked silly. I was depressed, overweight. I wasn't a very happy person, kind of angry. But these folks looked beyond all of that. I was embarrassed that I didn't have any clothes to wear because every night service, all these young people, they, were, they had the tie and the jacket on. The ladies had nice, girls had nice dresses and shoes on. And here's me in my holy jeans and goofy t-shirts with weird sayings on them. Do you know that every single night, Brother Grant loaned me a shirt and a tie out of his own wardrobe so that I could go to night service and I could worship and be like everybody else. Compassion. Compassion. It will reach somebody. There are precious, precious, innocent souls walking around us every single day that desperately need him and we don't even have a clue. We don't know what they're going through. We don't know what the challenges in their life, what kind of loss they're experiencing, who's beating them down, what the world is telling them. They're just wonderful, nice people. There's a lot of them out there. They're just generally nice people. They just don't know. They don't know God like we do. Or maybe their experience is very limited. And it's not for us to judge them. It's not for us to determine what level of sinner they are or whether they're worthy of our word. It's our job to say, hey, I love you. And I know someone else who does too. And look beyond what you see. You know that sometimes some of the most angry, hateful people, I was, I was very angry. I was very depressed. I was not pleasant to be around. And some of the angriest, frustrating people that surround you, maybe someone you work with, and they're always snipping at you and making comments and, you know, sarcastic and negative and so forth. Do you know a lot of times that's just a cover for an incredible amount of hurt and pain that they're dealing with? Would you ever have the courage to say, hey, Bob, Sally, listen, come on, I know you, I know you always seem angry and upset, but tell me, what's going on? I know there's something happening. You wouldn't be this angry. What, what are you hurting with? Do we have the courage to do things like that? Because God is calling us to do that now. It's time for us to get great at sharing this testimony. They don't know, see, I, I think you have to understand now, there's, we run into a lot of people that are part of organized faith and different things like that, and some of them are wonderful, and some of those people from traditional faiths are the most, they're the most faithful people, and, and, and they're faithful to their church, and they're faithful to God, but here's the difference, they don't know he's alive. 
You see, they see God as this, this cross on a wall or this name in a book or, or, or this leather-bound book that's got dust on it at grandma's house. They don't know that he's actually alive. They don't know that there's a presence like we felt up here this morning, that, that God would really step in and embrace you. And that's what was happening to me that night when I stepped up. All of a sudden, in an instant, this, this figurehead, this name, this, this, this object that I just had known as this God that my grandmother loved and respected and worshiped. I thought he was dead thousands of years ago. But when I stepped out in that altar, I realized at that moment, when I felt that embrace, when I felt that Holy Ghost power come over me, I didn't even know what it was, but I knew that there was something alive that was taking a hold of me and saying, I love you and it's going to be okay. And at that moment, it pierced my heart. My heart broke open and I just remember pouring it out, weeping in tears and sharing with God, please help me. Please God, I love you. I need this. I need you, Lord. Whatever I could come up with. There's so many out there right now that are ready for that moment. Tony Robbins isn't going to do it, and and other motivational speakers aren't going to do it. The president's not going to do it. Politics isn't serving anybody anything. None of that is going to do it except the Savior that you and I know. How are they going to see it? unless we come alive in our own walk and forget about ourselves. It's time to become sacrificial like never before. You know that scripture in Revelation? Don't love your lives unto death. It's time that we become sacrificial. Forget about ourselves and show other people the way. As the word says to be the light. Mark, Matthew chapter five and 16. Jesus was talking to the disciples in five and 16. He said, let your light so shine before men. Why? That they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven. What were they talking about, your good works? The message of the gospel, the message of hope. The fact that they had surrendered, that they had turned their lives over to God and are filled with his spirit. I want to determine in our hearts and our minds together as a body. You know, we're not just, you're not just a church that comes and hears some guy up at the front here talk every Sunday. We're a family. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord. We should love each other passionately enough to gather together and be in one mind, one brain trust, one goal and purpose, and that is that our mission from here on out is to look for every possible opportunity to show God's love, to look for chances just to listen to people. Just ask them one question and then listen to their hearts. But listen deeply. Listen deeply to what's going on. Let them share their story. Look for doors to open to share our testimony. Colossians 4 and 3, Paul wrote, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. He was saying, look for those opportunities, a door of utterance, an open door to speak to somebody. You hear me all the time make that statement. I pray to God, God, give me the, open the door and give me the words. That's from Colossians chapter four. When he says, speak the mystery of Christ, he's not talking about something unknowable. He's talking about the amazing, wonderful things of God. That's what that word mystery means. Look for ways to show people hope. 2 Timothy 4 and 5 says, but watch thou in all things. 
In other words, keep your radar on. Watch all the time. I just don't feel like at this point in time, at this time in history, that Christians have the opportunity to shut the computer off, shut everything down and go into autopilot mode. Are we affirmed, allowed some time off and some time to get rest and vacation? And all? That's not what I'm talking about, of course. But what I'm saying is, is it, 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 he, Paul is telling Timothy, the pastor Timothy, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and make full proof of thy ministry. Do the work of an evangelist. You don't have to be called. You don't have to be licensed. You don't have to be some special position appointed by your pastor. Do the work of an evangelist, he says. We need to let our hearts melt and show love for every soul. I met a wonderful lady in North Prairie. She's since moved on to Florida with her and her husband. She was the sweetest lady. She is the sweetest lady in the world. Her name is Arlene. She was the, the checkout lady at the gas station, Bill's gas station in North Prairie. And she was one of my target people. And so every day I would go in, just about, and I would get my cup of coffee, and I'd stop by and get to know and talk to Arlene. And I got to know her and her husband. I've shared testimony with her. I've shared, uh, I've given her CDs from the church. And every day I would come in and I would just show her just a little bit of sunshine. And I'd sing sometimes. I'd just get in her, get my coffee, and I'd be singing. And she just got the biggest kick out of that. Because one day I just did it accidentally. I was in there and I was singing some... Uh, Dean Martin song or something like that or some kind of thing. So we got, oh no, I was singing um, Good Morning from Singing in the Rain. Just being a goof, you know, just getting my coffee ready and I'm going, good morning, good morning. And all of a sudden she pipes in <laughs> said, we stayed up late, but that's okay. <laughs> and uh, so it became a thing. And so I would come in and I would sing her a show tune or a Dean Martin song or something. And, but I was sharing with her the love of Christ. We're friends, her and her husband and I and my wife are friends today. And I'm still to this day witnessing her via long distance, um, but we're very good friends and I want to see God do something in their lives. That's just one. But I want to do that every day with every person that I meet for that one-off chance that they'll say, can you tell me about your faith? Can you tell me a little bit more? We need to look at each one beyond what, what we see on the outside, as I said before, and look on the inside. 1 Peter chapter 3 and 15 says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. See what he's saying? Be ready always to give an answer for when people say, why are you so happy? What is it about you that's different? What is it about you that you're just got a spring in your step and you're a nice person? You see, the world is full of people who walk into that convenience store with a scowl on their face and they're slamming things around and oh, this didn't work right. That's what they deal with all the time. My daughter worked for Quick Trip for a short period of time. You wouldn't believe the horrific, terrible way that she was treated just, just standing behind the counter checking people out and the nastiness that she would experience from people. And then one person walks in one day singing show tunes. You see what I'm saying? We can be different from them, and we should, but be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you, what is with this hope in you? What is with this happiness in you? And many of them will ask. After that camp experience, I was a changed person, and God began immediately to work in my life. Shortly after that, we, we uh, transferred churches. We lived too far away from where we lived, and that's where I entered a Sunday school class that was taught by Brother Cliff Matson. 
And at 13 years old, I was still 13 at the time when we went there, he became one of my best friends in the world and he recognized and he saw a young man that was in a really messy situation, a really terrible place, and he took me under his wing, he and his wife, and his family, and became family to me. And I can't tell you the many challenges I went through during the course of that time, 13, 14, 15 years old. I started going to the church school there, but life was very, very terrible. And it was like that for quite some time until I was about 19, and the divorce happened and so on. We also met Dave and Dolores Meyer, who become very close friends of ours. They're our presbyter right now, as a matter of fact. But the point is that all of them, all of those names that I listed off, gave so much to this dopey 13-year-old kid from nowhere. I wasn't worth a plug nickel. There was no reason anybody would need to spend time with me except that they have a love of God in their hearts and they had a compassion to say, hey, little guy, I wasn't that little. Let me show you something. Cliff took me fishing, taught me about hunting, shared the word with me, jokes. I worked for him for a period of time. Dave and Dolores became very close to us. We were in their shepherd camps. We were in special things. They'd invite us to Fourth of July things all the time. And they made a big difference in my wife's life also. So I'm going to close. You can stand with me this morning. I want to give you a snapshot of what church is going to be like as we go forward. Now, shortly, we will be back in the sanctuary. I promise you, we'll be back in there. and We'll have normal church again. But I need you to understand that I'm going to continue to preach the word in its entirety, all of it, the full truth. And sometimes I'm going to have to come back and I'm going to have to preach that gospel salvation message. And I'm going to, why I'm telling you that is because I want you to bring people. I want you to invite them any way that you can. Get them here. Your pastor is going to be sensitive to the fact that there are people here that desperately need that gospel message. Your pastor is going to be ready to pray with them, pray over them, help them, uh, reach out to them, and, and, and try to break through anything that they need. I'm raising up new leaders right now that are feeling a call of God doing something in their lives. Brother Chad Germing is now being appointed as the first service director in our sanctuary. He's doing a fantastic job. He and Sister Gerbing both in our 10-10-10 services. Amen? Amen? They're doing a wonderful job. Amen. Of course, you know that uh, Sister Angela is working with me in uh, the office and planning and and, um, and uh, communications and so forth and doing a fantastic job there. Uh, Kyle and Brianna are stepping up and they're also going to be doing more, uh, being called on more. Both of those guys are going to be entering the rotation for our Wednesday night services. Uh, they're feeling a call to minister. They've got something on their heart that God's asked them to give and so they're going to be included in the rotation on our Wednesday night services. I'm going to give them the opportunity. God has moved on my heart. I've approached both of them and I said I feel like it's time to get you guys involved and so once month each of them is going to have an opportunity to share with you what God is putting on their young and vibrant and dedicated passionate hearts and you need to be here for that you need to be here for these opportunities to hear what these guys are preaching and what we're preaching and what our staff is is bringing to you from God 
We're going to continue our efforts in terms of reaching out. Our life groups are just developing. Many of you may not even remember, but we have a life group that's going. Brother and Sister Meyer, Amanda and Joel Meyer, and Brother Mike Kiley and Donna Kiley are running life groups on Wednesday nights. We're just piloting it, getting it off the ground. What's that for, Pastor? Why are we doing that? It's a ministry that's designed so that you, as an individual here, if you're encountering somebody out there that has that need, maybe they're not ready to come to church yet. Maybe that's intimidating for them. But say, hey, we've got this great discussion group that's going on on Wednesday nights. It's in it's in one of the, uh, the special council rooms in our in our church. And, and you can just get to come there and it's a discussion group and you can talk and share and learn some things from some other people. They're piloting that right now. They did a fear group uh, not too long ago and now they're working and they're doing one on prayer and there's other great topics that are going to come up. I'd like to expand those life groups eventually. Maybe we can offer somebody something in terms of, of dealing with divorce and blended families. Maybe we can offer some other challenging issues that people are worried about but something that is directly and specifically meaningful to that person. We can reach out to them and say, hey, we've got something that we can share with you. And along with that, our connect groups, which will be coming down the line pretty soon. Well, what is that, Pastor? Well, that's tier three. If we can't get them to church and we can't get them to a life group, maybe we can get them involved in in a godly, God-centered activity, a fellowship thing that we do outside of the church walls. We get together with a small group of people two, three, four times a quarter and just share niceness and kindness and pleasantry and just show people there's something besides this angry, bitter, terrible, world and maybe through that we influence them maybe that opens up a conversation these things are all in works COVID-19 set us back a little bit but we're on track we need you to be a part of those things Bible studies will continue. There'll be classes, how to teach Bible studies. If you don't know how, we're going to get into that and get people excited about the idea. We'll, we'll actually put the tools in your hands. Anybody remember the Bible study vault? I've had two takers, and they're doing great. We're going to continue on our discipleship track because inside, in here, we've got people. We all need to continue to be enriched and discipled. Your pastor needs to be discipled. Your pastor seeks and gets involved in discipleship opportunities with other ministers and leaders and even folks right here in the church. We're going to continue our foundations class. That's that new believers program. We've got to get you in and show you the deeper things of God, help you really get rooted and grounded in the faith that you're experienced. We're going to get into some leadership training. We're going to encourage people to step up turn off the autopilot switch, get involved and actively seek what God's got for you in your heart to do in leadership. And by leadership, I don't mean you have to run a department. I mean, you could just be a part of something that's great. One of these awesome groups. Our internal ministries are going to continue to advance. We're going to reach for excellence. We're going to raise the bar. We're going to raise the standard. We're going to raise the the accountability. We're expanding our impact ministry services right now. We need a team of dedicated altar workers that we all know together that on a Sunday morning when pastor calls the altar call, there's two, perhaps three, maybe four people who are standing in attention and prepared. All right, God, who in this place needs to be prayed for? Who's ready to receive the Holy Ghost right now? standing at attention ready to go into action dedicated to altar working service we need more teachers we need more soul winners 
Pastor's gonna be holding some soul winner classes and some things that are gonna help people understand how can we get people interested? How can I break that barrier, that glass ceiling? I never can seem to get through it. I never can seem to get anyone to listen to me. How can I make it happen? If we put a concerted effort on helping people become soul winners, we pray about it, we fast about it, we talk about it, teach about it, we get involved in it. I'm telling you that God's gonna move into that situation and he's gonna make some powerful soul winners out of people in this church. I guarantee you this morning. We're gonna continue to seek him passionately like never before. And so this morning as I open the altar, I ask you this. Can you seek God right now? Invest your heart deeper. Remove yourself and say, God, what would you have me to do? And get ready to sacrifice. Sacrifice some of your time. Sacrifice some of your pride, your concerns, your personal time to save even one soul. There's probably 120 or 130 people in this room. What if each one of us could reach one more soul? You know, I look back on those times when Sister Ons was inviting us to church and got us into a Bible study. And I can't tell you how many times I've looked back on it and said, oh man, I wish he hadn't done that. No. I look back on that and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That one person had the passion and the courage to reach out to my mother and say, let me tell you my testimony. I wouldn't be standing here right now and I wouldn't know Jesus the way I do if it hadn't been for that one person who was just looking for one soul you know where she lives down in North Carolina right now she's still soul winning she's still teaching Bible studies she's still seeing people being baptized in Jesus name she emails and texts me all the time she listens to my message poor lady She, gets, she derives so much blessing out of the fact that God's taken this lump of nothing and done a little bit with it. And I think to myself, it's nothing compared to what you did, Sister Hans. Come and seek God this morning. Can we take the next step? Can we get excited and passionate about this? The altar's open if you want to come on down. Let's talk to the Lord for a little while. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.